sometimes we can get ideas in our head that are just totally wrong, but we're so convinced that it's how something should be. And then when it turns out that it doesn't work out quite that way for us and our ideas end up not coming to fruition, things don't work the way we thought they should or would work, then we end up getting crushed as songwriters and think, oh, I suck. I'm no good. Maybe I'm not cut out for this or just end up becoming a songwriter that just doesn't continue to grow in the craft, but instead stays stagnant. We don't want any of those things. So we're going to talk about four different ideas that can crush songwriters. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Joseph Adala. Honored that you would take some time out of your day, out of your week, to talk songwriting with me. Thank you to all of you who have left kind reviews on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you might be listening to podcasts that actually let you review the podcast, because I know some uh, certainly do not let you review a podcast, which is sort of unfortunate. But to those of you who have taken the time to do that, I appreciate it. If you haven't yet and you've been a listener of the show for a while, just friendly reminder, a great way you can help me out is to leave a kind review on whatever podcast provider you utilize. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the four ideas or four of the main ideas that come to mind for me that I think end up leaving songwriters unnecessarily disheartened or crushed, uh, because sometimes we just get ideas in our heads of how something should be, and then it doesn't turn out quite that way, and even though we just sort of made up those expectations in our heads, we're like, oh, I bet everybody else who, you know, songwrites does fit this ideal, and it must be because I suck <laughs> that, like, I, I can't do it, um, and I think there's a bunch of reasons for that, but regardless... We're going to talk about four ideas. Let's dive right in. The first one is that there is a right way for songwriting to look. So I don't know about you, but my songwriting fantasy looks something like this. In the woods, on a lake, probably sort of a New England vibe. Of, I'm from New England, so that's that's kind of a the vibe that I, I think of, or maybe, you know, like a Canada type type look, you know, like forest and a lake, something like that. Exactly one loon is calling. Uh, it's at night. Moonlight is just bright enough to make the lake somewhat visible. And I'm alone. And it's, and I'm in a log cabin, of course. And a fire. There's a, there's a fire going. And I have both a piano and a guitar. And when I say a piano and guitar, I mean, what would be really nice is a grand piano, but uh, more what I picture is an upright piano that uh, would fit in a cabin somewhat, and an acoustic guitar. No keyboards, none of that. No electronic anything. And like a yellow notepad. That's what my ideal looks like. But you know how many songs I've written like that? Zero. None. Not a single one. I've done some songwriting in a cabin on a lake, technically, uh, but very little. There are lots of people around, and overall, this is just not what songwriting looks like for me. 
And that's not to say that it can't look that way for some people. But the reality is that overall, how we songwrite or, or how we think songwriting should look, right? Does it involve a notepad? Is it you sitting with a guitar in your basement all alone with the lights out? That was actually pretty doable. But, you know, whatever it is that to you is like, this is what songwriting looks like. You know, what would, what would look right for songwriting in a movie, right? That doesn't matter. doesn't matter. So don't over-glorify or give too much credit to the process and what it looks like. The process doesn't matter. Everybody loves the stories of, you know, the process of, like, one that stands out to me, for example. John Denver wrote Annie's song, Legend Has It, uh, in 15 minutes while on a um, ski lift, I believe, like, in the Rocky Mountains. That's a great story, right? Writing a great song, 15 minutes on a ski lift out in nature, and it's John Denver, so it really is on brand, too. Great story. Right? Like That's something that you, like, let's make a movie out of that. But who cares? You know the stories we don't hear? All the songs that took him a long time, that he worked on while on tour, right, on a tour bus, and sometimes in a hotel or whatever. We don't hear those stories. Right, but ultimately, whatever other songs that he wrote that may or may not have been famous or popular or whatnot, some of them just didn't have a story like that. And you know what? Who cares? Nobody cares, right? You don't like a song based on how good the story was. I think we did a whole episode just on that idea. But really, right? So so whatever your idea of what songwriting should look like, it doesn't have to look that way. It just doesn't. For me, I almost exclusively write songs at the computer. Almost exclusively. The only time I don't write songs at the computer is if I'm like not home and I'm just like workshopping a lyric and I bring out my phone and do it on my phone because it's stored on Google Drive. I type my lyrics. I don't even handwrite my lyrics. The last time I handwrote a lyric was like, I don't know, college or something. And I'm 29 just for frame of reference. So it's been a while. And I store all my different lyric writing helper documents on Google Drive. I often record while I write, which is also on the computer. And I utilize online tools like relatedwords.org, thesaurus.com, and rhymezone.com for help with rhyming. None of those things are something that would look good in a movie or is anybody's ideal songwriter, right? No, nobody, if, if you fantasize or if you ask your friend, like, what, what do you picture as like the most, the most like typical songwriting thing? None of them are saying, oh, probably somebody sitting at their computer on rhymezone.com, right? Nobody says that. Nobody thinks that. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> what matters is the final product. What is going to get you the best final product? That's what matters. So if you feel like you're songwriting, quote unquote, some wrong way, you're not. And that's not to say that there aren't processes that are better or worse or more efficient or not. I mean, I have a whole podcast and YouTube channel and everything about songwriting. I, I, I'm a software developer as well. So I, I love processes. I love systems that are efficient, figuring out how to, you know, create a process where you consistently make something good. I love all that stuff. That is, so none of this is to say that there aren't better ways to songwrite. 
I think what's important is that we don't get this ideal in our head, though. Because honestly, I'm pretty sure I write better songs or would write better songs in my basement at my computer than by myself on a cabin on a lake. Maybe not. Um, regardless, I don't exactly have the opportunity to just do that. Like, oh, bye wife, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna just go be chilling. I'm gonna like go to New England and rent a cabin by myself. Like, I, I'm not gonna do that. At least not anytime soon. So don't get too hung up on what the, whatever your ideal is what songwriting should look like. No, what works for you? What works for you? If, you, if your ideal songwriting is at night all alone, but the only time you have time for songwriting is in the morning, okay, fine. Morning is fine, right? There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. So just don't let your ideal is what songwriting looks like get in the way. All right. So the next one is that there is a right amount of time for a song to take. Look, you might write a great song in 30 minutes. Most likely... That will happen almost never, if ever, in your life. Some songs take years. Some songs take hours or days. And in my experience, most take months. If I were to give a, a general, here's the average amount of time it takes me to complete a song, it's probably something like four months. Somewhere in there. And, you know, that doesn't mean actively working on it for those whole four months necessarily. Um, but but it is like when I start a song, and I, I don't ever really think to myself, oh, by next month, this song would be something that is totally done that I could perform for someone. Like, no, that's, I would never expect that. Sometimes that happens. But on average, that's just not what happens. And... The thing to think about here is, is there really any correlation between the time spent on a song and how good it actually is? For me, I've noticed almost none. Uh, the songs that are a many years long struggle uh, don't always end up being better than the songs that take maybe a week or two, uh, nor are they worse. And that's not to say like, oh, just write all your songs in a week and it will turn out great. Like, nope. nope. <laughs> the reality is that there are just tons of reasons the songs take different amounts of time. So just because you have a song that you've been really struggling with and you've been like working on it off and on for maybe a year, maybe several years, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. Sometimes you just haven't had the right experience or the right inspiration or, or, or something else that is just hard to define. Like you just can't quite get it right. And, you know, whether it's a new life experience or what that you might need to sort of be like, oh, this is how the song needs to wrap up. Or, you know, this is this is what the second verse needs to be about. Or this is why the bridge doesn't work. Or, um, you know, I couldn't figure out uh, what what the chorus of this song could be, but now now I know. Oh, th this is what the chorus needs to be about. Here's where the melody should go. Here's where the piano part or guitar part should go. Here's what the chord progression should be. Whatever it might be. Overall, the key is to keep the standard, the quality standard, the same. It's not about how long a song takes, but how good it is when you tie the bow on it. Right, because I think sometimes people people kind of lean 
too heavily in the direction of let me just write a bunch of songs fast. And they're too busy concentrating on speed to to really think about like, okay, but is it good though? Right? Because probably all of us, both you and I, could write a song a day. Right? If we, if we really wanted to, we could. Right? I mean, how how hard can it be? There there are songs right that are literally one like four chord progression over and over and over again. Right. So you literally could just take a common chord progression, pick a tempo, slap it on, and then, uh, you know, two verses worth of lyrics, a chorus, and a bridge. Done. Right? Specifically, if you don't care about the quality of the lyrics, sure. I mean, that's like 100 words, right? Who can't write 100 words that are at least semi-sensical and at least have the same general meter so that the lyrics don't sound super out of place and they're not prose, right? They're, they're at least somewhat poetic. Uh, sure, yeah. Especially if you don't care about the lyrics making total sense or having the the perfect or right words and you don't mind just using what's pretty close to prose rather than slightly more poetic, more flowery, um, you know, more memorable language then yeah, sure. I think we all probably could do that. But that shouldn't be our goal, right? We want to write good or great songs, not necessarily just more songs. And none of this is to say that, you know, of course, doing a challenge where maybe you challenge yourself just just, just because maybe you're in your head too much. So you're like, you know what? I'm going to take a week and I'll force myself to start and finish a song every day for a week. Like that actually could probably be a good challenge for all of us to do. Just to like force ourselves to get in the creative zone. Probably all seven of those songs will end up sucking. Uh, but that's okay. That's not the point of the exercise, right? It's kind of like NaNoWriMo or whatever for, for authors. And the whole idea is like you just write a whole first draft of a book in one month. I think it's November. And, and the idea is, A, you can rework it into an actually good book later. It just forces you to like not – be an editor while you're writing. It just forces you like white words, write words, write words. Don't think about it. Just go. Um, or it at least like just just sort of maybe breaks the ice for like, you know, you thought you couldn't do it. And then you're like, hey, I just sort of wrote a, at least a first draft of a whole novel in a month. I can do this. Right. So in the same way, we can get benefit from that. But overall, what we want to do is not get too hung up on songs taking more or less time. Overall, at best, it makes, you know, maybe an intriguing story or something. But again, nobody cares. At the end of the day, let, let's say, just to get real practical, you want to release an album of 10 songs every two years. All that matters is in the span of two years, you finish 10 good songs or, you know, some variety in there, right? You might have two great songs, three good songs, two okay songs, whatever. Your goal is to get that many done within two years. All the rest really doesn't matter, right? And 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 just another thing on this, especially if, if you are a person that leans towards writing many songs instead of just writing few but good, like spending more time on taking what you do have and 
making it really good. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but but do make sure that at some point you start committing more time towards making the songs of yours that are better, even better, and not just, you know, because what you don't want to do is write 100 kind of crappy songs, and then what makes the cut for your album is the 10 least crappy songs, right? You want to eventually work those and put in the hard work and the word-by-word effort into making sure that the 10 songs that make that album are killer. Anyway, soapbox aside, there's not a right amount of time for a song to take. So don't sweat it. If, you know, don't think to yourself, oh, this song's taking too long. There's something wrong with me as a songwriter. Or maybe the song's inherently broken. I should just, you know, delete it and never look at it again, never try to work on it again. Don't do that. I had a song, and I've told this story before, but I'd have to do the math again, but I'm pretty sure it took me 10 years to finish. Now, that's that's not to say that, again, it's not like I was actively working. I don't even know if I actively worked on it at least once a year. I don't even know that to be true. I just know I was really trying to get that song done, and all I had was a chorus for years. And then finally, like nine, 10 years later, I figured out what the verses should be, and then came up with a finale for it that I loved, and it just all kind of came together. But it took forever, right? It... it, it and there was another song that was also around 10 years. It's called um, Love You the Same. And and the idea was, you know, staying consistent with love no matter what else is happening. And for the longest time, all I'd had was the chorus. And I, I couldn't figure out what was a story, what were the verses about. And it took me being engaged and then preparing to get married to my wife, you know, as, you know, two months before or whatever, that... I, I kind of put together like, oh, there's a wedding song. That's what this is. So uh, so the verses ended up revolving around the idea of uh, like, for example, dancing at our wedding and then so, sort of pointing to the idea that, you know, ultimately as beautiful as today is, really what's beautiful is is the that um, even when we're dead, people will say like, Hey, those two loved each other, right? So that you die still being together. Anyway, moral of the story here. There's no right amount of time for a song to take. So don't overly sweat it. Some songs will come together more quickly than average, significantly so even. Uh, you may have that story where you write a song in a half an hour and it's actually pretty great right away. Uh, but then there are also going to be ones that might take you years. And that's okay. Doesn't make you bad. Doesn't make this mean there's something wrong with the song. Also, just to clarify something, if, if you are a person that doesn't write lyrics, you write instrumental music, um, it's going to be much easier for you to write pretty good songs quickly, because uh, at least in my experience and from what I've seen from other people, almost always the quicker a song is written, the lyrics are what suffer. And I think the reason for that is you can almost like improvise, honestly, pretty good sounding music if you just understand basic theory. Um. So writing the music for a song it can and making it really great can actually be a quite quick process. Um, it's the lyrics and getting the lyrics to be just right and say exactly what I should say and have a, a, a tightly written, well-architected lyric. That is, is usually what takes a lot of time. Just throw that out there. All right, number three. And this one's actually kind of two combined, but they're two sides, or they're not really two sides of the same coin, but 
they're they're sort of opposites, but they they share a common element. And the two are I don't know enough about music yet, and it's opposite, which is I already know enough. Now, probably you're not in the I already know enough category because, well, you're listening to this podcast, but we'll still talk about it anyway. Hey, maybe you have a friend who uh, is in that category and you keep trying to convince them like, no, man, like there's there's always more to learn. There's always, you know, there's always something else to learn that's going to be a high leverage concept to understand that will then make your songwriting become much easier, make make it more, you more efficient at it. Uh, increase your toolbox and what you can do with songwriting and what you know. But anyway, we'll start with, I don't know enough about music yet because this is more likely to be you. You know enough to songwrite today. And you might say, well, Joseph, or you might say, well, whatever your name is, because this is the first episode you've ever listened to and you didn't remember what I said my name was at the beginning. You don't know me. How do you know that I know enough to songwrite today? The reason I know is because even if you know nothing, you know enough to songwrite. I didn't say you know enough to write a great song, but you you know enough to get started. Worst case scenario, this is day one of you saying, dang it, I'm finally going to take the dive. And you can't play an instrument, nor do you know anything about music. That's worst case scenario, right? Still, you could start writing a song simply by improvising singing or by simply looking up common chord progressions, like literally Google it, right? Common chord progressions. And Google and all of the people on the internet will be more than happy to give you about 5 trillion of them. Um, Not really. There aren't 5 trillion common chord progressions, but... um, There's a whole bunch to choose from. And then you literally can just pick one and then you don't even have to play it, right? Because we said that you don't have an instrument. You don't know how to play any instrument. You can program it using MIDI and a free DAW with a free plugin. If you don't know what DAW is, DAW is Digital digital Audio Workstation. There, I can speak English. (laughs) Um, I don't know where I was going. But, um, and a free one. And actually the one I use, the one I'm recording this podcast on right now and what I record my music on is Reaper. Totally free to use to the point that I used it for free for literally 10 years before I'm like, wow, I feel really bad that I haven't given them the $60 because I clearly love their product. Uh, So I did. But just for frame of reference, it's like truly free. It will like slightly irritate you with like when you load it, it'll be like, hey, you haven't bought it yet. And then you just like hit okay and it's fine. Like it, it doesn't limit you at all. So that's free. And then you can also, there's tons of free plugins out there to be able to, to be able to, you know, have a piano sound or something like that. And you literally can just program in the chord progression. Like you look it up, you look up like, Hey, C, okay. C major, G major, D major. Let's say that's the chord progression, right? You can literally then look up, okay, C major, what are the notes? And then in in MIDI, in your DAW, you can it literally will show you like, oh, there's C. So you say, okay, there's a C and a C chord. There's an E and E chord, and there's a G and a G chord. All to say, there's no excuse to do anything but start. And I've said this in many episodes, but I'll say it again. Every week, if you haven't written since the last episode of this podcast, 
don't let yourself listen to the new episode if you haven't actually done any writing. Because the best way to learn is to do. Now, the best way to accelerate learning to write songs is to learn concepts that will help you avoid pitfalls and learn high leverage concepts so you can become good at songwriting much more quickly than by just hitting your head against the wall, right? This is kind of the tension that we all have when we're learning things. Ultimately, we have to just do it to learn, right? You, you, can't, just, you, you can't just watch, I don't know, we'll say think media to learn how to utilize your camera and do videos and just like know how to record beautiful videos, right? No, you have to actually do it. Right? So you the reason you watch a think media video, which if you don't know, they're, they're just people that like teach you how to do YouTube and uh, Sean Sean Cannell's the main guy from it. Um, and uh, it's mostly about video stuff. And they get into, you know, the the tech side, right? Like what camera to get, camera angles, how to do lighting, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but they they also talk about, you know, the content-wise for videos and YouTube specifically. But anyway, the idea is that ultimately I can't just watch those videos and and then know, like, oh, here's how everything works. Like, no, ultimately I have to put it into practice to really ingrain it. And songwriting is the same way, right? You, you can listen to me all day. If you don't, if you don't, we'll pick on the last podcast, you know, if you don't actually utilize the borrowed chords that we talked about and put it to practice, then you knowing in your head or learning at one point that, hey, you can, you can borrow a chord from the, the, the minor scale. When, let's say we're in C major, you can borrow a chord from C minor to sort of give a little extra intrigue in your song. Like, yeah, that's great, but if you can't put it into practice, it ultimately doesn't matter. So the best way to learn is do, but the best way to accelerate learning is via stuff like what you're doing right now, right? You listen to podcasts or you watch videos because ultimately, sure, you can just hit your head against the wall repeatedly, never learn any music theory, never learn from people who have been songwriting for years about you know how to maybe be more efficient at it or some pitfalls to avoid, but ultimately, if you do also learn at the same time, it helps you when you are actually songwriting to accelerate in how how you know in your craft and how good you're getting much more quickly because you're able to avoid the pitfalls and you're you're able to find a more efficient route without having to do the hard work to find it because you just had somebody tell you, hey, this is what you should try. But ultimately, you have to do. And no matter who you are listening to this episode, you know enough to start songwriting. So no more excuses. Don't listen to the next episode until you've at least tried start to start writing a song. At least 30 minutes. That's my challenge to you. So the other side that we mentioned, I already know enough. Now, again, this probably isn't you because, well, you're listening to this podcast, but we'll run through it anyway. There's basically always something new to learn. Now, not everything is as high leverage as other things, right? For example, we'll use a money example because I haven't done that in a while. It is way more high leverage to learn 
generally speaking, how to invest in the stock market than it is to be an expert in specifically best buy stock, right? One of those is super high leverage. The other one is is very niche. And, you know, maybe if you specifically want to invest in Best Buy for some reason, um, then sure, it's helpful. But ultimately, you know, there there are certain things that we can learn that are way more high leverage, which means that ultimately the results we get are disproportionately high or great compared to the effort. So in my free guide on the four pillars of music theory that I think every songwriter absolutely has to know, that's what those four pillars are based on, the idea of leverage. Because those four pillars are, to me, the four things that, look, if you aren't interested in music theory and you're kind of hesitant about the whole thing, if you learn just those four things, those will get you like 80% of the way there because they're high leverage. Ultimately, just knowing those four things can take you from messing up all the time and hitting quote-unquote wrong notes when, while you're trying to figure out what should this guitar riff be or this piano riff, all the way to assuming you're competent at your instrument to just being able to improvise pieces that sound great and that get your, your parents or whoever's around you to be like, oh, that sounds beautiful. What is that? And you tell them for the trillionth time, I don't know. I just made it up. You get that just by knowing those four core high leverage concepts, uh, which by the way, if you're interested in that, it's at songwritertheory.com slash music theory guide. Link will be in the show notes per usual. But that's that's where I came up with those four. Those aren't four random music theory concepts I picked. Those are the four most high leverage music theory concepts, in my opinion, that will get you tons of results for very little learning. So, so yes, it's true that eventually you're going to, you know, assuming you start with learning the most high leverage foundational things, which we should all start with, that's great. And yes, eventually things are going to get more and more niche, right? I, I learn pretty few high leverage things for songwriting at this point because I, I've mostly already known those things. So for the most part, the things I'm learning or, you know, getting better at are things that are much more specific and niche, but those things still are very helpful, right? So at first it might be something as basic as, you know, basic music theory, but then eventually maybe diving deeply into a specific genre to like learn how do they get their, you know, how, how does this genre get their really clean guitar tone, or how is it that artists of this genre give it that specific, really catchy feel, that that feel that is reggae or something? How do they, like, what, what are the elements that make it sound like reggae or jazz or something, right? Um, so that's something that's much more niche, but can still be something that can, especially if you're trying to write a jazzy type song, as, you know, with jazz influences maybe, that would be a great thing to learn. That's something to learn that will still add something to your songwriting toolbox or just learning better songwriting processes to help you be more efficient at songwriting or to waste less time going down, you know, the wrong road with songwriting. And, and, and for the most part, most of the time that you do spend songwriting is actually moving your songs forward or learning to make your own sounds, right? So sound design is an element that can be a part of songwriting 
it's not necessary, but it's something that can add to it, right? Because, yeah, you can write your songs that just has acoustic guitar and electric guitar and bass and drums. But if you also learn to, like, make this interesting-sounding sound that's, that's you know, maybe you made from utilizing a, a, I don't know, floss, and you flossed your guitar strings, and it made an intriguing sound, and then you... You made it into a, you know, you pitch shifted it way down and you slowed it down and it becomes this almost cello sounding thing, but yet it doesn't quite sound like a cello. It's sort of got a a weird feel to it. I don't know, whatever it might be, that can add a lot to a song, right? And then that that type of thing, when you come up with intriguing sounds, I found that intriguing sounds can inspire songs. In the same way that you're going to write different songs and you're going to write differently when you're sitting at a guitar versus a piano versus grabbing the flute that you used to play in high school, those will all inspire you differently. And a part of the reason they inspire you differently is the, the way they're played, right? You play them significantly differently, all three I mentioned, right? And you can throw in a bunch of different instruments in there where tons of different instruments are just played radically differently. That's a part of it. Another part of it, though, is just the sound. It's like if you go up to a keyboard and you hit the, like, oh, string setting, immediately you start playing totally differently. Or if not immediately, you do very quickly from the feedback of the sound. You're like, okay, I can't do traditional piano playing with the string setting. So you adjust how you play. So the same thing is going to be true with making your own sounds. Um, You know, learning borrowed chords. Yeah, you can go your whole songwriting life and never use a borrowed chord and write great songs and not be hindered by it. But you know what? Learning borrowed chords could then result in writing and you getting a fresh bit of creativity and and being like, oh, that sounds awesome. I also recognize that from like this other song that I always loved and I never figured out like, how did they get that sound? And then you use it and it inspires a song, right? Or modes. You may never actually use modes. That's very possible. Like 90% of all music is in the major key. That's that, that's hyperbolic. But a, a large amount is ma- just major or minor. Uh, but, you know, just learning modes can be something that you might end up realizing, man, I really like utilizing the Dorian mode because it's not quite as dark as the Aeolian mode, a.k.a. natural minor. And you just really love kind of where it sits, where it's, it's just, just a tinge brighter than that. So... It's not that you can't write great songs with little knowledge. Absolutely you can. We all can write great songs with with little knowledge. It's just that it's easier to consistently write great songs that don't all sound the same and have more variety and stay creatively fresh when we have more knowledge. So ultimately gaining more knowledge is a way to remove limitations. It's like getting better at your instrument or becoming a better vocalist. Right. All of these things that you can do that are songwriting adjacent or direct songwriting skills, right? Becoming a better lyricist by learning poetry or, uh, you know, learning music theory concepts or learning to play, let's say, on the guitar, you're not very good at playing in the key of B major, but learning to do it better. Or, uh, you know, you never really used an open tuning for a guitar, but with your second guitar, you you decide, hey, I'm going to really learn to play in drop D. All these sort of things, right? All of these things can help you stay creatively fresh and remove limitations from yourself as a songwriter. 
You know, if you don't know anything about music theory, if you really don't learn anything about poetry and about meter and rhyming, you're just going to be limited, right? If you only play, barely play the acoustic guitar and barely sing, you're going to be limited, right? You can't utilize a huge vocal range because you don't have a big vocal range because you don't work at your voice, right? So all to say, it is true that no matter who you are today, you absolutely can go out there and start writing music and you can also write some great stuff. It is also true that no matter who you are today, you can continue to learn and you can continue to learn in a way that helps remove your songwriting limitations and really free you up to crush it even more at songwriting. Last one. This one's really sort of a bonus one. So it'll probably be quick. If you build it, they will come. Famous phrase. I think it comes from like a baseball movie or something. I know I just sounded super ignorant. I think it's like some really famous movie, but whatever it is, doesn't really matter. If you build it, they will come is completely and totally nonsense. Nothing works that way. Nothing. Nothing works that way. If you just decide to set up almost nothing. If you decide to just set up some online t-shirt website where you sell t-shirts and you design them, even if you're the greatest designer in the world, ultimately, uh, you need traffic and then you need people to spread the news or maybe you need ads or whatever it might be so that people find you, right? If you put your song out on the internet, on YouTube, People aren't just out there searching for your song or out there and, you know, it's not like they Google, like, the greatest new song from an undiscovered artist and Google just blesses you with, they, they send that person to you, right? Like, that's not how it works. And I think we've been conditioned to think that's how it works because we, again, it's about what stories are told, right? The stories that are told are all the rags to riches and, like, two-second stories, Right? We all love the story of, you know, even even Justin Bieber, right? The guy gets a lot of hate. I think he's way overhated on at this point. Let's give it a break, please. But, um, you know, everybody loved the story of, you know, the, what was it, 14-year-old kid that was just playing in the streets in Canada with a guitar and, I don't know, Ellen or something found, I don't know, somebody found him and, you know, he sort of just blew up or whatever. That's a shortened version, but, you know... First, beyond the whole, like, people ignore the fact that, like, hey, he had to work at what he did, right? You can make fun of him all you want, but he is a talented singer. I also think he's a pretty good melody writer. His lyrics are, well, pop lyrics, so it is what it is. But the guy is way more talented than most people give him credit for. And and to be as good as he was when he was that young is also impressive. And, yeah, you can make fun of, oh, he, you know, he was pre-puberty when he first came on the scene and with his voice you could tell and all that okay fine doesn't take away the fact that he had to work at his craft right nothing was really handed to him and anyway and then there's things like American Idol right so so people I, I think at this point feel like it's their conditioned like if you think you have something special if you just put it out there somebody will find you they won't that's, I mean, sometimes that happens, but very rarely. It almost never works that way. Because it's funny to me that people believe this because at the same time, and if you haven't done this, do this. Go ahead and do this. If you like artists that are anything but the like top of their genre, 
right? So if you're into rock, probably don't look at, I don't know, Corn or Breaking Benjamin or something. Uh, not that those are the top top or like Disturbed or something. Or if you're into more pop sounding stuff, don't look at Katy Perry's comment section. Look at that, you know, random, uh, you know, some girl from Sweden that that you're like, wow, I actually really like this song and you've never heard of her. Or some, I don't know, some, somebody like that, right? Almost universally, the comment section is the same to the point that it, it, it actually irritates me at this point because it's so like, oh my gosh, why does everybody say the same crap? But if you look at the YouTube comments under a lot of YouTubers or musical artists on YouTube, you see the same comments. Man, this channel is underrated. Why hasn't this artist blown up yet? They're so much better than so-and-so, right? Justin Bieber and Katy Perry are, you know, two people always like list a couple artists. How come this stuff isn't getting more attention? I don't understand how this guy only has a few hundred subscribers. This is great. And, you know, honestly, I've gotten those comments on, on the Songwriter Theory channel. And, you know, I appreciate the sentiment. I appreciate that the person is, you know, because they're, they're trying to say a nice thing, right? They're saying, look, you have X, subscri X amount of subscribers, and I think that your content is deserving of many more. And that may or may not be true, but that's not how it works, right? Like PewDiePie had zero subscribers at some point. You know what I mean? Like, really, right? It, I think he's still the biggest channel on YouTube or close. Had zero once, and he had a hundred once, and he had a thousand once. And every musical artist, same thing, right? So it's just not true that if you build it, they will come. So if your expectation is that you're going to put an EP out there and people are going to come find you and people are going to ask for you to be on their podcast and they want to interview you and all the journalists are like, hey, can, can we review your EP? It's incredible. Don't expect that. It might happen if it does, good for you. That's awesome. But don't expect that. You'll be sorely disappointed. Sorely disappointed. In general, I found I have I I think I have really great friends. I'm gonna give that preface because what I'm about to say might make it sound like I don't. I really do. I feel very blessed with with the friends I have. Don't take anything I'm saying as a complaint against them. It's not. But I've noticed that even though I would say I have some real good, like true bros, right? Like, I don't have any brothers, but I feel like I, I kind of do via my friends. That's how close we are. But it is amazing to me the level of, you know, the reality is that maybe the first thing you do, people will be like, oh, wow, you wrote a book or, oh, you came out with a CP. That's awesome. And they'll listen maybe through once. Maybe they'll read your book. But then pretty quickly people move on and or move back to just the stuff they like. Right? So whether you're good or not, it doesn't matter. And I've talked about this before. Just because somebody likes you doesn't mean they'll like your art. Right? So just because your mom loves you doesn't mean your mom is going to like your music. Just because your husband or wife or or you know, your your sibling or your you know, who, however it is. Just because they like you doesn't mean they like your art. In the same way that they may may like many artists that if they knew them personally, they couldn't stand. It's not about that. Don't take it personally. And likely, 
Maybe not for your first thing. If you release your first EP, you might be like, wow, everybody really was like, yeah, I'm excited about this. But people get over it pretty quick. So if your expectation is like you have five close friends and they're going to spread it to all their best friends and all of them are going to be excited about it and all of them are going to spread it to their other five friends and soon the whole world is listening to your album, don't expect that. So just don't, and I, I, I don't tell you this to, I hope you don't take this as discouragement. It's not meant that way. It's meant as don't think when that day comes that it's because you suck or that it reflects on you at all. It does not. It absolutely does not. That's not how things work, right? I, I have a friend slash mentor who I should probably have on the podcast at some point. Um, songwriter. I mean, he's written top 40 hits. Um, you know, he's way back in the 80s. He was paid many, many dollars by Sony to be a professional songwriter to write songs for artists. Right? So he, he very legit. And, you know, today his YouTube channel has, I don't know, 40 subscribers and I'm one of them or something, right? People don't, like, because, and, you know, there's many reasons for that. He isn't, like, over-promoted or anything like that. But again, clearly this guy is good at what he does, but people don't just seek out, like, that's just not how it works. That's not how it works. So, hopefully this is helpful to you just as a quick refresher. Don't believe these four things, that there's a right way for songwriting to look, that there's a right amount of time for a song to take, that you don't know enough about music yet, or the opposite, that you already know enough, neither of those are true, and that if you build it, they will come, or if you write it, they will come, or if you record it, they will come, whatever, <laughs> whatever version of it. Because ultimately, if you believe them, they will eventually come back and make you feeling crushed and make you feel inadequate and bad when you are not. Um, and I want you to avoid that because it's a crappy feeling. They're crappy feelings. And uh, hopefully, hopefully you all can avoid it now that we talked about it because now you have proper expectations, hopefully. And again, just as a reminder, if you haven't already, be sure to check out my free guide on the four pillars of music theory that I think every songwriter absolutely has to know, the most high leverage concepts to know about music theory. Again, if you're new here, I'll say it for you. People who have listened for a while have probably heard this, but music theory is not sheet music. People conflate those two things like crazy. Knowing how to read sheet music and music theory are completely different completely and totally different. Music theory is incredibly helpful for songwriting. Knowing how to write and read music is, uh, honestly, I, I know how to do both those things and I, I like never utilize it, basically. Uh, so honestly, if you think, if that's why you thought music theory, oh, who cares, that academic knowledge, that doesn't help with songwriting. If you thought that what music theory was was sheet music and knowing how to read it and write it and stuff, then actually I agree with you. The problem is that what you're talking about is not actually music theory. But be sure to check it out. It teaches intervals, keys, chords, and chord progressions, which ultimately, if you understand those four things, man, it makes you dangerous and powerful in your ability to write songs because you can understand immediately, you know, hey, I'm in the key of D major. I know what notes I can and should make use of. 
you know, I know that I have two sharps, for instance, in the key of D major, that I have an F sharp and I also have a C sharp. I also understand that the job of a G major chord in the context of D major is going to have the same functional job as what an F major chord would have in the context of C major. You learn all these things that really uh, are unbelievably high leverage for making you much better and more efficient at songwriting. So again, songwritertheory.com slash music theory guide. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you, and I will talk to you in the next one.